How many of you have ever wanted something really badly? A lot of you. Mostly on this side of the room. Maybe you wanted to be in a relationship with this guy. Or maybe you wanted to be in a relationship with this girl. Or maybe you just longed to be married by the time you were 30 and you're, you're 29 and it hasn't happened yet. Maybe you long to have children. You don't have children yet. Maybe uh, your goals are a little lower. Maybe you're out shopping with your wife, and the ball game starts at 2 o'clock in the afternoon. And you don't have it on DVR, and it's 1.45, and she's still shopping. You finally get her out of there, and you rush home, breaking every speed limit and running through those lights that are burnt orange, you know. And um, finally get home. It's 2 o'clock sharp, and you can't find the remote. (laughs) You look on the table. It's not there. You look on the chair. It's not there. You look on the couch. It's not there. You look under the couch. It's not there. You start digging in the bottom of the couch, underneath the pillows. It's not there. You find barbecue potato chips from the night before. You find Pringles, uh, you find a dollar seventy-five and change you didn't know you'd lost. <laughs> you find all kinds of stuff in there, but you cannot find uh, the remote. What do you chase after? What should be your greatest desire? We know all the church answers, like heaven. We think about that today. When we all get to heaven, what a day of rejoicing that will be. Amen? When we all see Jesus, we'll sing and shout the victory. That's a great priority. Or we have this priority that we want to reach people who need Christ and need a church family. That's a priority. We want to help people grow in their faith. And so we don't just gather people together, but we preach the word and we sing about the Lord and we encourage people to be in Bible study and we help people to grow in their faith in the Lord. Those are all great desires. We know all the church answers, but do they really work in the real world? Is what we sing about and pray about and preach about and read about in this place really matter when you get out there in the workplace or at school or when you're facing a conflict in your family, does what we talk about here really make a difference out there? Listen, if your God doesn't know everything, and if your God is not all-powerful, and if your God really doesn't care that much about you, then nothing that we talk about or pray about or preach about or sing about in this place really matters at all. But if your God really is all-knowing, if your God really can see into the future with clarity, if your God is able to do more than you could ask or think or even imagine, if your God is all-powerful, 
if your God also really cares about you, then nothing matters more than what we sing about and preach about or pray about in this place. Amen? Amen. But let me give you a disclaimer. Following Jesus Christ is not always the easiest way to live. Sometimes it would be easier to go ahead and tell that lie. Sometimes it would be easier to go ahead and take advantage of that person so you can get the promotion. Sometimes it would be easier to do life your own way rather than do the way of God. However, in view of eternity, it is always better to follow Jesus Christ. He really does love you, and he really does know what he's doing, and he really is at work in your life and in this world. We're on Facebook Live, and say hello to everybody on Facebook. Hello. And here in a letter we call 1 Timothy, Paul is writing to a young pastor that he has mentored in the Christian faith, and he's giving him some specific instructions on how to live and how to lead. And there's a whole lot we can learn from this for ourselves. So we pick up on what Paul said here in chapter 6, verse 11 today. Paul begins like this. But you, man of God. Paul starts out by contrasting what Timothy should be doing from what he shouldn't be doing. But first he calls Timothy, this young pastor, a man of God. There's a lot of things you might look for in a pastor. This church for calling a new pastor, you might look for a great preacher, or you might look for a person who's a great teacher, or you might look for somebody who's really good about visiting or has great leadership skills or is good at administration. You might want to call somebody who's a really nice guy, or you might want to call somebody who wears good cologne or dresses well. Who wears a tie? Or his wife plays the piano? There's a lot of things that you might look for when you call a pastor. But if you can't call him a man of God, then you've missed the priority. 30 years from now, when you finally drag me off this platform and make me turn in the keys to my office and you stick me in a nursing home somewhere, make sure you call a pastor who has a heart for God and a heart for people. Pastors aren't the only ones who are to be men of God. All of us should be people of God. Amen? All of us should be people who love God and want to grow in Christ and become what he's called and created us to be. If your life on this earth is at most 100 years long, and eternity is trillions of times longer, why would you not? Paul continues, but you, man of God, flee from all this. There are some things as a Christian you've got to stay away from. You don't want to get in the same zip code. Sin ought to be a long-distance number. Don't flirt with sin. Flee from it. Don't see how close you can get to it without sinning. Run away. Suppose this stage were a cliff, and you saw someone that you loved very much 
standing right here on the edge of it. And it was a 200-foot drop-off down below. How many of you would say, get away from the cliff? Or would you say, hey, see how close you can get? This could be fun. Absolutely not, right? Because you do not want your loved one to fall off the cliff. Well, God calls us not to flirt with sin and see how close we can get to sin, but to flee from sin, to stay away. See, the enemy, the devil, wants to bring you down. He wants your life to crash. He wants to destroy you. But Jesus Christ wants to give you life. The New Testament word translated flee doesn't mean think about it. It doesn't mean flirt with it. It means to flee from it. This is a strong command, get out of there now. But in the Christian life, you don't just run away from things. You also run to things. Verse 1 continues. But you, man of God, flee from all this and pursue, chase after righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, and gentleness. The New Testament word translated pursue here is a command to hunt down or to chase after something. This is a priority. How many of you have ever been deer hunting? All right, several of you have. When you go deer hunting, you do some really crazy things, like putting on deer scent. Have you ever done that? That is not good cologne, okay? That is not good smelling stuff, all right? And you dress in all of these really weird-looking clothes. You're decked out in orange, which isn't really a very good look for most of us, unless you're a Tennessee fan, Grady. But uh, anyway, it's okay. And, And then you get up at dark 30 in the morning when nobody wants to get up. And you go out there in the freezing cold, and you climb up a tree, and you sit up there in a tree stand. And you wait for a deer. How ridiculous is that? Why do you do that? Because you are determined to get a deer, right? Paul tells Timothy to pursue, hunt down, chase after righteousness and godliness and faith and love and endurance and gentleness. What does it mean to pursue righteousness? The idea here is to make doing right your priority in relation to both God and man. The emphasis here is on genuine behavior. How do you live your life? It's conforming your will to God's will. Romans 12, 2 says, do not be conformed to this world. The Phillips translation says, don't let this world squeeze you into its mold. It will try to. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. Paul continues, pursue righteousness and pursue godliness. Pursue being like God in your thoughts and words and deeds. Next, we're commanded to pursue, to chase after, hunt down, go after faith. If you don't have faith, you don't have anything. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith... It is impossible to please God. But you might say, I don't have a lot of faith. Listen, it's not the size of your faith that matters so much as it is the size of your God. Jesus said, if you have faith, 
the size of a grain of mustard seed, which is one of the smallest seeds in the world. If you have faith as the size of a grain of mustard seed, you can speak to this mountain and say, get up and move from over here to over yonder, and it shall be done for you. You see, ultimately, it's not the size of your faith that matters as much as it is the direction of your faith. Are you placing your faith in your God? Next, we are told to pursue love. In 1 Corinthians chapter 13, Paul said, If I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, but I have not love, I'm like a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. Suppose I were to go over here this morning and grab this little mallet and just start banging on that cymbal. It'd get a little annoying after a while, wouldn't it? How many of you like to have a cymbal concert for about 30 minutes? Probably not. Well, Paul says, if I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, if I'm this amazing communicator... We might also say, whatever you do with your life, if you don't have genuine love, then you're like a clanging cymbal. That is not a good sound, is it? Here at Northside Baptist Church, we try to do two things above everything else. We love God and we love people. Say love God with me. Love God and we love people, okay? Those are the two greatest commandments. Jesus said... The two great commandments are love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your mind, and all of your strength, and love your neighbor as yourself. A lot of people are chasing a lot of different things in our world today. There's one thing worth pursuing that's greater than anything else you can pursue, and that is Jesus Christ. Philippians 3, Paul said, I want to know him. And the power of his resurrection, embracing even the fellowship of his suffering. But I want to know Christ above everything else. The New Testament word translated pursue means to keep on making those things your lifelong pursuit. You're not like a superstar in a college basketball world. This is not one and done. This is moment by moment, day after day, following after Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord because you know your labor is not in vain. How many know sometimes that feels like it is? But we live by faith, not by sight. We stay in there with our God. Galatians 6, 9 says, let us not be weary in well-doing for in due season... In God's timing, we will reap a harvest if we faint not, if we don't quit, if we don't give up. we got to stay in there with our God. And as we do this, we're commanded to pursue God in gentleness. The world runs over people in order to achieve their goals. Sometimes people in church do as well. That's my pew. That's my job. That's my class. We get all territorial. As Christians, we've got to pursue gentleness. You should be one of the most 
gentle, approachable people in the community. Turn to the person next to you and say, I'm glad I got to sit by you. See? Now, Rebecca's one of the nicest people in the church. There's nobody sitting by her, all right? All right. Well, we should be approachable. Say approachable with me. Approachable. People should be glad to come and share with us their heart, their thoughts, their, their ideas. And even if there's a difference in opinion, they know they can talk with you about that. James 3.17 talks about the wisdom that comes from God. It says the wisdom that comes from God, from above, is first of all pure, then peace-loving, then considerate. And the King James says it's easy to be entreated. That means that you're a person who is approachable. Galatians 5.22 and 23 is called the fruit of the Spirit. It says this, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy. Say joy with me. Joy. I like to see you smile. Peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, and gentleness, and self-control. That should mark our lives. Some of you might be thinking, well, enough of this pursuing stuff. I thought Jesus said, come unto me, all you who labor and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. How many of you could use some rest today? Can you believe it's... Time change Sunday, fall back, and our family overslept. Can you imagine that? The clock fooled us because we didn't set it forward, and we thought, well, we have an extra hour. Well, we didn't know is the clock actually moved forward on its own. How many of you could use some rest today? I'm going to get a drink. I'm kind of tired. We find rest in our God, do we not? Absolutely. There's rest in the Lord. I thought once you became a Christian, God gives you his righteousness, and he fills you with his love. He does all of those things and much more. I thought we were accepted in Christ just as we are, and you are. There's nothing you can do to make God love you any more than he already does. He doesn't wait for you to try to get your act together and then say, well, if you get good enough, I'll start loving you. Go to church 15 Sundays in a row, then maybe I'll talk to you. They didn't say that. Romans 5, 8 says, God demonstrated his love for you, and that while you were yet a sinner, Jesus Christ came to this earth and he died for you. He didn't wait for you to try to get your act together. He said, I love you right where you are. And so some of you today, maybe God is speaking to your heart and saying, I want you to follow me. I want you to be a part of a church. And, and you're saying, well, let me get my act cleaned up first. Well, come to Christ, and he'll help you get your act cleaned up. 2 Corinthians 5.21 says, God made him who knew no sin to become sin for us. Isn't that incredible? That we might become the righteousness of God. That's how much he loves you. More than you can ever begin to understand what love is. Thank God that's all true. There are two sides of this coin. On the one hand, yes, everything that you do depends on Christ. And there's nothing you can do to make Christ love you any less. But this is not an excuse for sloppy living. This is a reason to live for Jesus Christ with every fiber of our being because we are accepted, because we are loved, because we get to participate with him in this great adventure called life. 
abundant life, eternal life, right here and right now. The Christian life was never meant to be a life of coasting into eternity. Jesus Christ didn't just save you and say to you, okay, you're on your own. See you in heaven 50 years. There's so much he wants to do through you and for you and to you for his glory. And he wants you to be his instrument to reach the world. Salvation is a free gift. But living the Christian life the way God meant for it to be lived demands every fiber of your being. Paul said, I am forgetting those things which are behind me. And I'm reaching forward. I'm straining with all of my might toward those things which are ahead. Like a runner straining for the tape and a track meet. That's how Paul was straining to know God and follow after him. Verse 12, Paul told Timothy to fight the good fight of faith. The Greek word for fight gives us the English word agonize and was used for both military and athletic challenges. It means to give your maximum effort. As followers of Jesus Christ, we are in a battle. Did you know that? Ephesians 6, 10 and following says, finally, be strong in the Lord and the power of his might. Put on the full armor of God that you may be able to stand firm against all the schemes, all the wiles, all the tricks of the devil because he wants to bring you down. 1 Peter 5, 8 says, your enemy, the devil, prowls about like a roaring lion looking for whom he may devour. He wants to destroy you. He wants to destroy your testimony. He wants to destroy your family. He wants to destroy this church and every church that proclaims the gospel of Jesus Christ. The good fight of faith speaks to conflict between you and Satan and the kingdom of darkness. Some of you are soldiers. How many of you have ever been soldiers or maybe you are right now? Thank you so much for your service. You understand what it means to be in battle. As Christians, we're in a battle with the devil and all the forces of hell and perhaps most of all, our own sinful nature. So we must, verse 12 continues, take Hold of the eternal life to which you were called. But I thought salvation was a gift. While this straining, while this taking hold of stuff, what's that mean? There are actually three tenses, we might say, of salvation. First of all, there is the, what the Bible calls justification. When you give your life to Christ as Savior and Lord, and you choose by God's grace to turn from your sin and follow Jesus, the Bible says that you are made justified, just as if I had never sinned, okay? You've been saved from the penalty of sin. But after you have been justified, we must continue to walk with Christ in this world, following him and trusting him with our hearts and lives. That process is called sanctification, okay? I have been saved from the penalty of sin, but as I trust in God and I follow Jesus Christ, I'm being saved from the power of sin over my life as I grow in Jesus Christ. Now, one day when I go to be with God in heaven, I will be saved from the presence of sin because I will be in heaven and there is no sin in heaven, right? So I have been saved, justified. I am being saved, sanctified. One day I will be saved, glorified. And so 
we are in this process now called sanctification where God is purifying our lives and he's calling us to draw closer to him as we grow in our faith in Jesus Christ. Paul goes on, take hold of the eternal life to which you were called when you made your good confession in the presence of many witnesses. The good confession may be Timothy's public profession of faith when he received Christ as Lord and Savior, or it may have been at his baptism or his ordination. For some of you today, today is your day to make a good confession. For somebody in this room, it might be to say, I need to be a follower of Jesus Christ. In about 10 minutes, we're going to sing an invitation hymn, and that'll be your opportunity to come forward and say, I want to be a follower of Jesus. For someone else, it might be to be baptized. Maybe you know Christ, but you haven't been baptized, and today is your day to say, I want to be baptized and follow Jesus. For somebody else, it might be making a good confession in some other area of your life. But God has called us, as he called Timothy, to make the good confession. I charge you, Paul continues, to keep this command without spot or blame until the appearing of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that doesn't mean you'll never blow it. How many of you ever blown it? How many of you ever failed? How many of you ever sinned? Even after you became a Christian. Like, why did I do that? Why did I say that? Why did I go there? We all do it, okay? We all fail sometimes. We all blow it. But when you blow it, don't kick yourself by God's grace. Say, God, I'm sorry. God, I turn back to you. I want to get back on that road. I want to follow you with all of my heart. Don't wallow in self-pity. Get up, confess your sin to God, and follow Jesus. With all your heart, with all your life, follow him. We have such a short time on this earth. Did you know that? Such a short time. Everybody take your hand like this, like you're going to snap your finger, okay? On the count of three, I want you to snap your finger with me, okay? One, two, three. Good. Do it again. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. One, two, three. Okay. Have a little too much fun up here. Your life compared to eternity is less than a snap of the finger. That's about seven or eight lifetimes we just did up here, right? That's another lifetime. That's another lifetime. That's another lifetime. That's another lifetime. But too often, we live our lives on this earth for the snap of the finger, don't we? Instead of living for Jesus Christ and for all of eternity. Whatever may come your way, remember this also. Never forget that our God is in ultimate control. Aren't you glad? Doesn't all depend on you. Depends on Jesus Christ. Verses 15 and 16 tell us that he is the blessed and only ruler, the king of kings and Lord of lords, who alone is immortal and who lives in unapproachable light, whom no one has seen or can see. To him be honor and might forever. Amen. Our God and only our God is worthy of worship. Do you believe that? Only he is worthy of our praise. In Paul's day, people were worshiping the emperor. 
But the Bible says, don't go there. Only Jesus Christ is worthy of our worship. Worship him and him alone. Amen? Verse 17. Command those who are rich in this present world not to be arrogant, nor to put their hope in wealth, which is so uncertain. Now, there's nothing wrong with being wealthy. But that is neither our hope nor our priority. Our priority is Jesus Christ and him alone. Verse 17 continues. Put your hope in God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. Listen, our God is not out to destroy all of your fun. Aren't you glad? He wants you to enjoy life. Say enjoy with me. Enjoy. Say enjoy with a smile on your face. Enjoy. He wants you to have fun. He wants you to have a great life. He didn't come to earth to say, hey, you know what? Once you become a Christian, you're going to be miserable. You just hang in there. Do you get to go to heaven? Then it'll be great. No, Jesus said in John 10, 10, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly to the full. However, we look for our joy and we look for our happiness in the wrong things, okay? Suppose you had a magnificent piece of clay and a master potter who is forming that clay into this masterpiece. How many of you would take that piece of clay out of the master's hand and throw it to your dog for a chew toy? You wouldn't do that. Why? Because the master potter is forming a masterpiece. And that masterpiece is you. In Jeremiah, the Bible tells us that God is the potter and we are the clay. He's molding us and shaping us into what he wants us to be. Suppose you had a thoroughbred horse that was the quality that could run in the Kentucky Derby. How many of you would take that horse down to the circus carnival and let the clowns play with it? You wouldn't do that. Why? Because that horse is destined for greatness. Listen, by the grace of God, you are destined for greatness. Ephesians 2.10 says, you are God's workmanship, which in can also be translated poem or even God's masterpiece. Created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for you to do. God is creating something in you that is going to be a masterpiece as you trust in him and follow him with all of your life, and you'll not see all of it until you're with him in heaven for eternity. But don't you dare take that masterpiece and throw it to the dogs. Or down to the circus clowns. You follow Jesus Christ. Not only does our generosity help others, it also benefits us. In fact, Paul tells us in verses 18 and 19 that when people who are rich in good deeds and are generous and willing to share, they are storing up for themselves the treasure of a good fortune for the coming age. Too often we live our lives on this earth as though that's all there is. But this life is but a Snap of the finger. Don't just start out well. By God's grace, finish well. 
Don't back up or let up or shut up or give up until Jesus Christ returns. I love the perseverance of the great preacher John Wesley, who once wrote in his diary, Sunday a.m., May 5, preached in St. Anne's, was asked not to come back anymore. Sunday p.m., May 5, preached in St. John's, deacon said, get out and stay out. Sunday a.m., May 12, preached in St. Jude's, can't go back there either. Sunday a.m., May 19, preached in St. Somebody Else's, deacons called special meeting and said, I couldn't return. Sunday p.m., May 19, preached on street, kicked off street. Sunday a.m., May 26, preached to meadow, in the meadow, chased out of meadow as bull was turned loose during service. Imagine that. Sunday a.m., June 2nd, preached out the edge of town, kicked off the highway. Sunday p.m., June 2nd, afternoon, preached in the pasture. 10,000 people came out to hear me. Throughout church history, there have been people like Paul and Timothy and John Wesley and Martin Luther and John Calvin and thousands of others. Billy Graham and the list could go on and on and on and on and on who've been faithful to God, even in spite of opposition. I encourage you to be faithful as well today. Follow Jesus Christ. But here's the good news. Philippians 1.6 says, He who started a good work in you is faithful to complete it until the day Christ Jesus. He's not done with you yet. He's still at work in your life. He's still forming you into that image of Jesus Christ increasingly as you place your faith and trust and hope in him. I encourage you, stay in there with your God. Follow Jesus Christ. He knows what he's doing. You pray with me.